Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are doing This Is Marketing by Seth Godin. You can't be seen until you learn to see. Seth Godin has done a whole bunch of books, Permission Marketing, The Dip, Tribes, Lynchpin. This is uh, his, I think his 19th book and I guess a culmination of a whole a whole career's worth of marketing he's, lessons. He's steered away from the way his, his usual style where he just packs one concept into 80 90 pages. This way, he's veered into the area of uh, most other people, most other authors, I guess. He's done 250 pages and covers marketing a lot more generally, but not in the way that you usually think of marketing. It's a lot more on the level of empathy and emotional and deep thinking. Yeah, and it's very much a. Um, there's no sort of how to, as in go and craft this specific Facebook ad with these these specific words. It's uh, very much a high level uh, how to approach and how to think about marketing. So he starts off by saying it's not about mass, it's not about spam, it's not about shameless self promotion. This book and his idea of marketing is all about how to spread your ideas, how to make an impact on the world, and how to improve the culture which is a, a pretty lofty goal to begin with. He says marketing is actually a really generous act of helping someone solve their problem. Real marketing involves very little in the way of shouting and hustling and coercion. No, I so, love how you say hustling. Hustling. <laughs> it's like a it's a, it's, it's a real chance to, to go out there and serve. So, you know, a lot of people see marketers as like a real annoying and selfish people trying to just sell shit on everybody. But it's actually, they're some of the people who are changing the world in good ways. Yeah, no, exactly. And he says, he, he used the word generous in that marketing is a generous act of helping others become who they seek to become. It involves crafting stories and helping other people change the stories that they tell themselves. And marketing offers solutions or opportunities for humans to solve their problems and and take a big step forward. So, in the long run, those people who are all about the hype, the scams and the pressure they're putting on everybody, they thrive on this selfishness. And in the long run, that is actually not going to work. It's those who are out there who are selfless in the long run, they're going to be much better off. He bangs off the end of the first chapter with, uh, it's time. It's time to get off the social media merry-go-round that goes faster and faster but never gets anywhere. Time to stop hustling and interrupting. Time to stop spamming. Time to stop pretending that you're allowed to just talk to people. Uh, time to stop making average stuff for average people and try to try to charge slightly more than commodity price. And he says, time to start. Time to stop looking for shortcuts and time to start insisting on a long, viable path instead. It's time. It's like a big motivational yeah, speech by the big Seth. He doesn't... Yeah. yeah, you know, very fired up. So, <laughs> yeah, he really describes marketing in five different steps, which is really valu- valuable with someone's brain like Seth Godin to break it down like this. The first step, you need to invest into a thing that's worth making with a story worth telling and a contribution worth talking about. The second step is to design and build it in a way that a few people will particularly benefit and care about. Not everybody, just a few people. And the third step, you need to tell a story that matches the built-in narrative and drams of that tiny group of people, the smallest viable market. The fourth step, uh, which is I guess the one that we get excited about, is spreading the word. And the fifth step and probably the most overlooked and perhaps the most important is just to show up regularly, consistently, and generously for years and years and you need to organize and lead and build confidence in the change that you're seeking to make. Yeah, rather than just being a a once-off transaction, 
it's uh, far more effective to have the longer term uh, interactions over time of, of truly engaging with, with somebody and building that connection as you go. Yeah, that's why a big Seth is he's big on his big permission assets like email marketing, those things that take a long time to build but actually uh, are really selfless and aren't really bugging and spamming people. So this is the big Seth's Seth style. He calls this uh, the riff about the quarter inch drill bit in that Harvard marketing professor Theodore Levitt famously said, people don't want to buy a quarter inch drill bit, they want a quarter inch hole. Uh, so obviously, you know, the, the drill bit, you know, is just a feature itself, a means to an end, but people truly want the benefit of having the hole. But Seth said that this does not go anywhere near far enough because nobody wants a hole. He says you want the shelf that goes on that hole, but really you want the shelf so you can put stuff on it so your house isn't cluttered. Or you want the shelf so you can put books on it so when people come over, they see that you're a smart person. Or perhaps uh, you want the shelf so that your spouse can pat you on the back and admire your handiwork or the feeling of just doing it yourself. So there are all these benefits that we get that have nothing to do with that first quarter-inch drill bit that we bought in the first place. And really not even much to do with that hole either. So yeah, it is. it does go much deeper. And if you look at, you know, big ads like the Toyota Land Cruiser, like, you can go, you're right. And they're just like going <laughs> off track, just fucking just off rocks and off jumps and all this kind of stuff. Like the people who actually go out and buy that $90,000 car, they're never going to do that action adventure that the no. people in the ads are doing. But what they what they are buying is that feeling that they're going to be safe and respected so mm. they're selling a feeling in that ad they're not and it, it, there's never never that practical value of, of that wild shit they get up to <laughs> yeah exactly they might look and think yeah i'm going to do some sick off-road four-wheel driving and they probably like to pull it into their driveway and their their neighbors look over and think yeah this guy gets up to some wild shit on the weekends <laughs> but really they're just, uh, it's just a car. they're just driving <laughs> from home to work and back home again so people don't want what you make they actually wants what it's going to do for them and they want how it will make them feel and there actually aren't many feelings to choose from so most marketers deliver the same feelings we just do it in different ways with different services products stories and we do it for different people in different moments so it really is uh i guess almost a callback to this sort of uh thinking a lot deeper so it's not just what it's not just what's the product that you're making and it's not even just what is the benefit they get out of it the level far deeper than that is what's the feeling that you're trying to get someone when they use your product or service so what feeling are we trying to invoke with what you'll learn Uh, i think it's a feeling of uh you know being smart learning a whole bunch of new different things i I feel like that's the whole mate i think it's the deep level it's the it's the maybe the feeling that people get when they tell someone you know what the black swan is or something Mm. and they get that feeling like they're maybe they're they're smarter than someone I think that's a lot of the reason why a lot of people read and yeah. maybe me a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The feeling that after you read this book about something that doesn't offer necessary practical value, you can actually mm. tell someone and you look good and that's oh, the whole value and the whole point of oh, the yeah. book. There's a lot of, a lot of status that, that comes with that. I like oh, it. Oh, yeah. Uh, two big questions that he asks here and I guess two big questions that should really guide anything that you try to do, whether it's building a product or creating a service, uh, they're the first two questions you should ask. Firstly, what change are you trying to make? And secondly, who are you seeking to change? So in terms of the what, so what change are you trying to make? It's a, I guess a simple question but a loaded one because it implies that you're completely responsible and you're not just trying to sell products, you're trying to make a change. 
He says there's two stumbling blocks. One is sort of aiming too high, you know, like trying to revolutionize the um, revolutionize the fossil fuel industry or something. That's way too big a change, and it's you know nice to dream high, but it it's easy to you know when it fails say oh it was it was never going to happen anyway. Or the second one is to you know ask this question and just defend what you're already doing. So if you're already selling a product, you make up some weak change that this product's going to make. Uh, so and do it the wrong way around. You need to start with the what is the change that you're seeking to make. The second question is who are you seeking to change? And it's quite clear that you can't go out there and change everyone. You don't have enough resources to go out there and change everyone, but you actually need to change someone. So focusing your whole marketing to one single person can make sure that you're making really effective change on a real person. Yeah, you want to um, be choosing a specific type of person and probably not based on demographics like where they live or how old they are or how much money they make. Instead, this psychographic, so the way they think, the way they feel, the types of stories they tell themselves. Like, you know, one psychographic could be the the guy who wants to go off-roading adventure on the weekend because he's a wild dude. That's like mm, one, that's yeah. one psychographic that we could talk about. Or if you think about Apple at the very start, they were really going hardcore on the rebels and the misfits and that mm. psychographic and... Uh, although it really appealed to a real niche kind of person and paradoxically it kind of went up the whole adoption curve and then mm. everybody ended up having it. But at the very start, they're really focusing on the one type of person to change. Yeah, and it is important to uh, what Seth says, force a focus in that it's impossible to change everyone and it's uh, ridiculous to even try to. So instead, focus on being specific. Um, so not just generalizing but being specific and what he calls the smallest viable market so the smallest possible amount of people that all share the same sort of ideas and stories that you can group together but not trying to change everybody at once it's actually being really brave when you be specific it means being accountable and because when you're being specific you'll know if it did work or if it Mm. didn't Mm. it's not these kind of abstract people you're marketing to you you'll get actually understand your results straight away and you could probably pivot to something else pretty quickly Another brave and really scary thing to do is, especially if you're at the start, is to say it's not for you. Mm. Is to once you've become so specific about who your group is, anybody who's outside that group say it's not for you. Uh, it's it's tough, but it's important not only for you because you don't want to compromise, but also for them because you don't want to waste their time doing picking something that's not right for them. And he says, you know, every best-selling book on Amazon has got more than a few one-star reviews as well. So you, it's impossible to both create work that matters and please everybody. Mm, yeah, you definitely don't want to go out there and please everyone. Have we got any one stars? Nah, I'd have a look. I was hoping we did, but nah. Yeah, we were both looking in earlier. I don't think we've got any one star written reviews. We've got a, no. one, a few one star reviews without written things. So yeah. I think we're doing it right. The lowest was a three. Yeah, uh, maybe uh, the written review. <laughs> I'm hoping not ten, not tempting people. Yeah, no, don't ask don't. for one. <laughs> <Just> please <laughs> keep giving us five stars. We've been loving them. <laughs> so once you get, once you're thinking of a specific person, you need to go down hardcore in empathy to really understand the other person. So the people who don't buy from you, who happily buy from a competitor, even though they know you exist. Why are they right in not going with you? Yeah, it's another tough question to ask yourself in that you need to go a little introspective and realize that there are people who know about you but chose not to buy from you. 
and they're probably right for a whole bunch of reasons. So you can't just think, oh, that guy's an idiot. He he doesn't know what he's talking about, or oh, that girl, you know, if if only she knew better, she'd be buying from me. You need to just really admit that, okay, some people aren't going to be right. Some people mm. aren't going to buy from you, and try to understand why, mm, which is exactly. important to know. So, yeah, when you get to that point, you can actually say, hey, I'm sorry for you. This isn't for you. Here's the phone number of my competitor and then you can have the freedom to actually to serve the specific group that you're going to in the first place. And I think, yeah, and and I think it's a bit paradoxical as well. I think when you tell someone, nah, this isn't for you, they'll be like, fuck, why isn't it for me? (laughs) Then it will be for them if they really want it. I remember telling someone, I actually said that about the podcast to someone once. They were they asked me about it and I said, it's probably not for you. And yeah. <laughs> they ended up listening <laughs> to their episode. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, he uh, caps off this section here and moves into a section on empathy because he says empathy is at the heart of marketing. So, when understanding empathy, uh, one way is to really look at the opposite, which is narcissism. It's the, um, the, 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 the thinking in the way that everything is revolving around you, your worldview is spot on. Empathy is the ability to actually step into someone else's shoes and see things from their perspective because people don't believe exactly what you believe. They don't know the things that you know. They don't have the same experiences. Everyone has a different kind of noise inside their heads and everyone thinks that their worldview is right and they've got an impulse to make things better in the way they things they in the way that they think things will be better. Yeah, exactly. And we really need to truly understand uh, other people. And they, you know, in this uh, the subtitle of the book, you can't be seen until you learn to see. I guess he's saying that you need to truly see other people and understand other people before you could ever uh, market yourself effectively. It's like the old uh, seek first to understand and be understood. It's uh, exactly that. Yeah, it is, man. It is. It is. And so you definitely need to understand uh, your, you know, potential smallest viable market in a in a deep way. You need to understand their thoughts and feelings and really be uh, empathic about how they're going about their lives. We all want to make our products or our services, our offerings, better, but better is such a, a nebulous, abstract, loose term that doesn't mean a whole lot by itself because better means different things to different people. So, you need to truly understand your smallest viable market, the people you're trying to change and what is what does better mean to them? That's it. So, there's hundreds of models of pretty much everything out there in the world, hundreds of models of computer, table, motorcycles, beers, bars, burgers and the way that you're going to remember something in every, uh, every category, you're going to actually remember the thing that's best for you. And that's what it's going to be like for everybody else and everyone's so different. They're going to remember what's actually just best for them. So, if you're someone who cares about sustainability and price, then your brain has a slot for your favorite brand based on that. And say if it's for cars or something, um, you might like really expensive sustainable cars and you. so all of a sudden your favorite brand is Tesla in that thing. But for someone else, they might really value group and status in the group and luxury. So, their favorite brand of car is all of a sudden a Rolls Royce or, a, you know, like a Porsche or something like mm. that. Yeah, exactly. The best is not, there's not one subjective best because it's all best based on a whole range of different things. And some of the lists here could be, you know, speed, price, performance, uh, health, purity, safety, uh, being different sustainability, there's all these different variables that go into making your product or service. And one exercise he suggests is 
pick two of those things and make an X, Y axis, so a vertical and a horizontal and plot your competitors on those two axes and work out is there, are they all congregating in one section or is there somewhere that there's maybe missing an option or you know, it's just good to understand both your competitors and the, the market. If you're looking at hamburgers, for example, you might want to be plotting speed and quality and you know you might have Andrew's hamburgers, which on the category of pretty much everything is just the high, very high end. But that's not the way to market, was, according to Big Seth. Say it's, uh, it's fast, but uh, low quality. <laughs> it's very high quality, um, fast, and and everything. Anyway, but that's the, they're the two categories. So that then that fills that category. You might have the really fast, low price, as well, like your Maccas, like your Maccas, and then uh, you might have the really slow high price which is the big sit down you might have invite six execs over to just yeah. sit down and just watch people it's like a that's start like a from a lamb scratch yeah. <laughs> like a maha in the city yeah. 25 buck burgers you know a bit fancier yep uh good for you know the people wankers who work in a bank who think that that's a classy <laughs> establishment to go to yeah um, not speaking personal experience, of course <laughs> uh, but yeah there's all those different things that you can pick uh you know the and you can plot all the different uh, competitors based on those two axes. And the important thing to do then is to then find another set of axes. And perhaps uh, maybe for burgers, maybe healthiness uh, comes into into play. And that then you can have healthy burgers and you can have unhealthy burgers. And where do all the competitors fit on, on that spectrum and on those axes then? Yep. So, if you're bringing in a, in a new product, it's really important to actually find that category where you're the first in that category and you can actually serve that viable uh, audience who um, who are in that category who value those those two kind of things and then you can open up a whole brand new market and straight away you've got some customers. Very nice, very nice. The next important thing he talks about is not being a commodity. So, he says if you're making something that can be easily found or replicated on Amazon or Alibaba or if you're doing a service that you could find on Upwork or Fiverr, uh, you're in for a lot of pain because yeah. uh, people are just going to go purely based on price. They're just going to find the cheapest thing. Um, if you know, if a cheaper price is just a click away, people are going to click. So instead, you really need to focus on not being a commodity. You know, creating something that is uh, a bit more truly unique, and that's again setting up with a making a change and marketing based on the feeling, not just a, a simple uh, commodity product or service. So you got to really think what do people actually want and. The thing is, if you ask them, you're probably not going to get the right answer. Yeah. Like, or you certainly won't find anything really groundbreaking. Yeah, there's a few issues with that. Firstly, you know, we confuse our wants and our needs. Like, our needs, bit of bit of food, bit of water, a uh, bit of air, you know, a bit of health. That's pretty much all our needs. The mm. rest is is just wants. That's how you understand this, man. I've been watching Tony Robbins. I'm not your guru again. This popped up just in my head. Then but there's some chick, some 19 year old chick. She's saying, "Oh yeah." Uh, you know, I don't like what I'm eating. And the big Tony, he goes, oh, that's what she thinks she wants. And then Tony turns it into, it's the, she craves the need of her father. And I don't know yeah. how the two linked, but <laughs> it made a lot of sense in the uh, in the documentary. And then her life was changed and she's probably just killing it right now. Yep. <laughs> I, love, I love it, man. I don't remember the specifics of that one, but uh, I'll take your word for it. Uh, another thing is like, whilst people are intimately aware of their wants, like we know what we want, we're actually really bad at uh, picking things that will satisfy our wants. 
we might know that we want that love and connection, but instead of going to a family member for it, we're going to food. So there we go, mate. I shoehorned that uh, that mm. that analogy in for you. Uh, and the other third thing is like we also mistakenly believe that everybody wants the same thing, which as we talked about, based on different worldviews, uh, that is not true whatsoever. Yeah, that's it. Some people want things that are brand new. Some people want things that never change. Some want chocolate. Some want vanilla. Some want buttered pecan. Oh, yeah. Bit of a throwback to the dip for any... Any long-time listeners? What happened in that episode? Uh, well, anyone who's listened since uh, day one would know, but uh, it was uh, in the dip saying that the most popular flavors were vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, and then butter pecan. Ah, it was, like, right. was number four, which I've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about butter pecan until then. So, yeah. <clears throat> yes, the dip. Ooh, Seth yes. Godin. Gonna rub that butter pecan all over my body. <laughs> Some people want it though, apparently, and uh, not everybody not everybody wants uh, wants the same thing. So this is some really deep shit here. You don't begin with your machines, your inventory, your factory, and all these little tactics. You don't begin with what you know or how to do some sort of distraction about your mission. You need to begin with the dreams and fears and the emotional states. And with the change your customers seek to make in their themselves and in their world, um, it's really putting themselves as the hero on their journey, understanding what they're looking to, uh, what kind of pot, pot of gold that they're after specifically. Yeah, that is uh, it is deep shit, man. And uh, Seth says, well, what do you want? You as in the reader of the book or the listener to this episode. And he says, you know, let me guess. You want to be respected, successful, independent, appropriately busy, maybe a little bit famous, you want to do work you're proud of for people you care about. Mm. I reckon pretty much nailed that. I reckon that's uh, exactly what everyone wants. Mm. And so that's what he's saying, that everybody really wants uh, a lot of the same things deep down. They just go about achieving those in a different way. So you should be boiling down your offering based on some of those core human desires. Mm, yeah, like straight away, you know, like freedom or something. Like someone might be pursuing a high risk, uh, high risk entrepreneurial kind of vision to get that freedom Someone else out there might have that really stable job so they can actually invest in you know, an index fund to be very free when they're 65. So, they're completely two different ways of living and seemingly two different paths, but they're both after the same thing. Exactly. The next section he talks about is reaching the right people and specifically, one big takeaway for me from this book was uh, the clear distinction between brand marketing and direct marketing. So, first of all, you know, online advertising, it's so uh, easy. You can reach people, you know, precise people almost on an individual level, you know, not just the demographics, but the psychographics. You can reach them instantly. You can put up an ad and two minutes later, people are seeing it. You can measure everything, but also it's the most, uh, the most ignored advertising ever created. It's very easy to, to not look at those online ads. So, you've got to be very... Uh, you got to be very conscious and very calculated with how you're spending your online marketing budget. So you can easily get people's your audience's attention with these new tools that are available, but there's a huge difference between the actual quality of attention that you're getting from them. There's some that's just spammy, bullshitty, unearned attention, which you know, like if I think about those some of those YouTube ads that are mm. so bloody annoying when you're watching something, mm. I've never ever clicked on anything that comes from that. Yeah. I always get pissed off at that brand. <laughs> and then you got some earned attention, which is a whole different different type, right? So if you're subscribe to someone's blog and you're looking forward to it every month you know both attention and what be a 10 second hit but one of them 
has a completely different amount of value to the other. A hundred percent. And so, with our uh, with our marketing, both earned and unearned, and unearned, is we've got two different types of marketing. The first is brand marketing, and the second is direct marketing. So he says direct marketing uh, makes the phone ring. It's the action oriented stuff, and it is easily measured. And the brand marketing, he says, makes magic. It's culturally oriented and it can't possibly be measured. And so, the big key of the book is firstly to know which of these two you should be doing and secondly, do it the right way. So, if you're buying direct marketing ads, measure everything, compute how much it costs you to earn attention, to get a click, to turn that attention into a sale and direct marketing is action marketing. So, if you're not able to measure it, it doesn't count. And if you're buying brand advertising, be patient and refuse to measure it. Engage with the culture, focus on being consistent and being patient. And if you can't afford to be consistent and patient, then don't buy brand marketing ads. So, direct marketing ads is going to be those things where you click now, you make the purchase straight away, you can measure it, you got your big funnel there, it kind of filters through and everything's very measurable and the only thing you want to get is the sale. You don't care about anything else. Brand marketing is something else where you might be advertising on television to where no one can click right now. You're just like trying to sell what your brand is on everyone. Obviously, the brand one, it's going to take a lot longer to actually get your ROI really realized. So, that's why you need to be so much more patient compared to the direct marketing style and, yeah. know, that, and know when you're doing one and know when you're doing the other. Yeah, exactly. And don't uh, trick yourself into thinking that you're doing one when you're truly doing the other. So, he gives us here a simple guide to online direct marketing. So, he says you need to make an ad, the ad gets a click and that click either leads to sale or permission. So, the sale exists to then create either another sale or word of mouth So that or permission allows a marketer to then interact further. You know, whether it's uh, subscribe to an email list or subscribe to a podcast, that permission to then later down the track get the sale. So he says that's all there is to to direct marketing, the ad, the click, either sale or permission. That's it. Yes, yeah, so, uh, seemingly pretty simple stuff. On the other hand, the brand marketing guide to this, he says everything you do from the way you answer the phone to the design of your packaging, from the whole music to the behavior of your executives, even the type of packaging you use, all of this is a form of marketing what your brand is. Yeah, so you need to be consistent with that brand and there's probably a lot of things that you don't even notice uh, giving people an indication or an insight into how your brand operates. You can't measure any of this but it is still vitally important and they are still things that are well and truly worth considering. So, that's a big takeaway from the book is understanding it's a real strategic thing, um, the difference between brand and direct marketing. Seth rarely goes into like the strategy level mm. so, I think it's really great when he does Another strategy he talks about is using price as a vital marketing decision and price being a real story that you're telling people. Yeah, price is a massive signal. We assume a lot of things based on the price. You might think that cheap is good. People just want cheap but that's not true at all. There are some people who like expensive. They like to pay more. They like to be seen to pay more and so, if you're just trying to be cheap or just trying to be cheaper, Seth says it's actually just you being scared. Mm, absolutely. If you think about the, the company Porsche, right, the actual utility and value they're offering people, it really isn't a, a big difference between the twenty dollars or $30,000 cars, right? Mm. But they're selling the idea that the person who just rocks up 
in their driveway with a Porsche that the status that they're getting from it. So, the pro- by having the cost of it so much, they're allowing the people who tell the story of status to actually buy that thing and then, um, you know, and it really fits their worldview in a really, uh, really direct kind of way. Yeah, on the opposite end of the spectrum is being the cheapest. Uh, it's pretty easy to sell things if you're the cheapest because, you know, there are a lot of people that like the cheapest. But firstly, you're not creating any meaningful change, which is what we set up at the start. And secondly, it's a race to the bottom. Just because you're cheapest now doesn't mean you're going to be cheapest forever. And if you're selling to people who only buy the cheapest, it means as soon as somebody else comes that's one cent cheaper, you've lost them. When you're the cheapest, you're not really promising change. You're promising the same kind of Mm. thing, but cheaper. And lowering your price doesn't make you more trusted. It actually does the opposite. Mm. It's a big, big punch there as well. Having said that, I would have... I think it would be nice if Seth sold all his shit for a bit cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Man, I think there's a, there's, there's a story in that. There's a story in that for sure. There is. Um, and another thing that's not nothing to do with cheap but free, it's a completely different category. So, obviously, you know, $10 is $1 less than $11. It's a $1 difference. But the difference between $1 and free is massive in that free is a completely different category all to its own. And free is an important thing to do. You can't make everything free, obviously, because you need to somehow make money. But uh, he says that if Facebook charged three bucks a month, there's no way they would have got to a billion users. Mm. Or if you know, if you had to pay to listen to the radio, there's going to be no top 40 songs that everybody's heard. Free is like a great way to spread those ideas because it's such a an easy barrier to entry. But you know, as you're saying with you know Seth maybe making his courses cheaper by paying a lot more. You have the, I guess, the tension of that transaction, uh, and by you know, if someone gives you something for free, you act very differently than if you had to pay a lot of money for it. So yeah, the, the road out of this paradox between um, cheap and high value and expensive and free is one. Free are the ideas that spread. If you want something to really spread really fast and wide, then give it out for free. And two, expensive expressions of those ideas that are actually worth paying for. Yeah, so I think it is that that's the right mix is you got to have a, a whole bunch of things that are free, which makes it able to spread. But then, of course, you need to have things that are not cheap, that are worth paying for. He closes the book with some really explicit words to uh, his marketing message to the reader or the person listening right now. So, we bring value to the world when we market. And if you're someone offering more value than you're charging, if you don't market the change you like to contribute, mm. then you're actually stealing. If you hesitate to market your offering properly, it's not that you're being shy, it's actual theft because there's someone out there who needs to learn from you, engage with you or actually buy from you. 